live from beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Phil Andrew, survival of America's first elementary school shooting 34 years ago, and a former FBI agent. Cheryl Chumley, Washington Times online editor and author of Lockdown, the Socialist Plot to Take Away Your Freedom. Arlen Gould, longtime school board member. And in the second hour, William Schneider, veteran political analyst of The Hill, and Phil Wegman, White House reporter for Real Clear Politics. Uh, our program tonight coming to you from home base at WIND AM 560. The answer uh, just in Elk Grove Village, just uh, uh, northwest of Chicago. Nice to have you with us. Our phone lines are open at 1-800-723-8289. That's 1-800-723-8289. And uh, we've got uh, lots to talk about. Obviously, uh, the big story in this country uh, has been the, the tragic school shooting last week. Uh, just outside of uh, San Antonio, Texas, uh, where 10 school children and two teachers uh, were shot down by an 18-year-old assailant. And uh, obviously, uh, this is an issue we unfortunately um, have to discuss on this program every few weeks, it seems. And uh, again, uh, tonight, uh, we have a unique situation in that one of our guests uh, is, uh, he, I guess he carries the distinction of being one of the first survivors of an elementary school that was 34 years ago in Winnetka, Illinois. And he is a survivor, went on to, to a career in the FBI. His name is Philip Andrew. He joins us and also Cheryl Chumley joins us. She is the Washington Times online editor and she is author of a new book called Lockdown, The Socialist Plot to Take Away Your Freedom. And so we may have some, have some disagreement from our guests this evening, but I, I'm really not looking for a discussion of gun legislation tonight. What I am looking forward to, because the other common denominator, certainly in recent years, has been the lack of school safety. And obviously the situation in Texas uh, this past week, uh, there was a lot of questionable police activity that took place or did not take place. So I, I want to begin by focusing on what, what can we do and what could we possibly agree on when it comes to keeping our schools safe, beefing up the safety at the schools. I'm going to begin with you, Philip. Uh, welcome to Beyond the Beltway, and uh, we'll tell your story a little bit later on. But uh, what's the answer to that? Because uh, your professional job uh, for the last several years has been you want to stop violence wherever it takes place. So how do we do that in the schools? Well, thanks for having me on, Bruce, and wonderful to meet you, Cheryl. Uh, you know, obviously, it's a pretty complex problem. So, you know, there really isn't just one or two things that uh, need to happen to keep uh, children in school safe. But I think it's important to kind of understand the facts behind it first, that, uh, you know, roughly 40,000 people die a year due to gun violence in the United States. And uh, less than 2% of that is what we would call the mass violence like this, the, 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 the incident I was involved in to the incident that, that uh, Texas just experienced, mm -hmm. you know, where there is an acute uh, attack on like, like a schoolhouse or, uh, you know, a, a, a place where a lot of people had gathered. So in over two thirds 
of the gun violence in our country is suicide. So, you know, when you when you start understanding kind of the facts behind this, you start identifying that they're, you know, acutely underneath this is is a nation that has a distinctive mental health crisis going on. But it also has a very distinctive and unique to the entire world, uh, unfettered access to dangerous weapons. And, you know, while the whole world is experiencing all kinds of mental health challenges, uh, you know, you, you name it out there, um, they're not killing each other like we are. And uh, so, so many of the solutions are going to focus on trying to identify people who are at risk, okay. that uh, have vulnerabilities, that have but, needs in our communities yeah. as early as possible and let service let those me, needs. Let me, let me interrupt here and, and bring Cheryl into the conversation. Cheryl, what is your observation, and not only what Phil has said, but again, my, my broader question, is there, is there some agreeable ground that we can learn from these shootings? Well, I think we need to stop doing the knee-jerk reaction that the left always does. Whenever there's a school shooting, they jump right to the Second Amendment and look for ways to water it or outright abolish it, because that's not helpful, uh, particularly because it wouldn't do anything to put a stop to school shootings. I think we look, need to look at some uh, common sense solutions here, and I favor arming teachers uh, specific training for teachers. I favor having armed guards in or armed police officers in each school. Uh, to me, that seems common sense. But I also want to look beyond what's going on because mental issues, mental health is a problem. And years and years ago, there used to be discussion about some of the prescriptions that children were given uh, in order to control their behaviors side outcomes of them were oftentimes when they were er erroneously prescribed uh, outcomes of them side effects included uh, paranoia and and anger and irritability and violence and suicidal thoughts and mm -hmm. it, you know in this country we we have privacy acts that that prevent us from looking at all these shooters to find out their health issues before uh, they shot up kids in schools and, and performed these acts of horror. But I just wonder how many children today or young adults today who have been involved in these horrific shootings were prescribed some of these behavioral medications from a younger age. Okay. And I think that's something that maybe we could find common ground on at least asking right. questions about right, pediatricians years ago okay. used to but that conversation has has right. has slowly died away well sure let, let, let's begin that's a good question we have someone here that can answer that again uh, you were one of the shooting victims 34 years ago uh, you were not the primary victim but someone left the school they went to your house next door they entered your home and 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 you you were uh, wounded so um <clears throat> what sort of reaction what sort of uh, therapeutic uh, counseling did you go through in in your life 34 years ago, Phil? And how long did it last? I mean, how long did that fear last with you? Well, obviously, it's devastating when you go through a traumatic experience like that, as it is for anybody that's uh, exposed to violence. In fact, there's lots of studies about ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, if you have five or more of them, it really has a, a tremendous impact on your brain. 
I happen to be 20 years old and benefit from a lot of healthy systems. I was on swim team. I was uh, had a big fam, health, big healthy family. I benefited from uh, a lot of great health care. And, you know, the vast majority of folks that suffer uh, violence and particularly gun violence don't have those healthy systems to fall back on. But the, the truth is here is that there's just so much that can be done to prevent these things from happening. Okay. And we, some of it I've is got, about, I've got, I've got, I've got is about addressing got, like school safety just, issues. I got to stop. But a lot stop. has to be go into just Bill, keeping running into a dangerous break. people uh, from we'll getting dangerous right weapons. Back. We'll be right back. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest. And then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm gonna make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor, check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org.
Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway, and I want to see if we can find a couple of things that we all agree on that make sense uh, with our guest this evening. Uh, one thing is, uh, in this particular school, there was one entrance, and a teacher propped it open. Um, is the idea of one, just one entry, is that a good idea, Phil? Because uh, opponents say, well, what if there's a fire? Uh, from a law enforcement perspective, you spent 21 years with the FBI. Is having just one entrance a good idea? Well, it's simply not practical. But but covering one entrance where you're you're uh, allowing students in and exiting from, but having multiple exits for emergencies mm -hmm. just makes sense. And uh, you know, we've been studying fire. We've been studying disasters. Um, you know, you got to just follow those recommendations. Um, but when nobody is patrolling or guarding uh, a door, it's got to be locked. Okay, and, uh, uh, you can lock it from the outside and still allow people to egress from. Cheryl, the in that particular seems case, a pretty simple fix. Would you would you support having an armed guard at the single door in a school if all the others are pushed to open, uh, you know, to get out in case of an emergency? Would you support having an armed guard at that entry point in schools? Personally, listen. I, I think that no. I want to get. I want to I want to. I want to. I want to get. I want to get Cheryl. You have to do an assessment I, I wanna, of it. I want to get some Cheryl. Cases, that might justify having a school resource okay. officer. You okay. know, somebody that's trained. Okay. I, but what I, we've seen statistically is armed folks in the building have not been successful in stopping these attacks. Well, what why we have not? seen why, is why the background they, why checks. You know, Excuse me, not, background checks Phil, and uh, denying folks access to dangerous weapons. This is getting very frustrating because flag you're not hearing work. me. You're, you're not hearing me, and uh, you're, you're giving a good answer, but it's, it sounds like, it's, uh, like you're, you're just going on with a, with a speech. I know that that's not the case because you can't hear me. So we're going to try to, if I hold my hand up, uh, take a breath because we do have another guest, and I want to get her perspective as well. In fact, I'm going to go back and ask that question. One security guard, one armed security guard at the single uh, opening of a school or, or entrance to a school. Is that someplace uh, where you could agree, Cheryl? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm in favor of having uh, an armed presence inside the school. Okay. I think it should depend on local preference. I think the locals should have the authority to decide how many and where those armed guards ought to be stationed. For instance, it doesn't make sense to have one guard for a small school of, say, 300 students versus, you know, the same number of guards for a school that has uh, upward of a thousand students. And different areas of the country may have different needs, but by and large, I'm in favor of having an armed presence in the school and well-trained. I think that there's nothing wrong with having teachers go through specific training in case somebody storms their school with rifles or with weapons intent on committing acts of murder. I don't think there's anything wrong with having, you know, a police presence, an armed presence inside the school at all times trained, not just trained once, but they go through annual or by, you know, every six months type of training. But in the past, Cheryl, there's always been quick uh, negative response to that because teachers are saying, 
we've got too much responsibility now. Teaching a, a kid is is a real tough job. Make, making us, you know, an enforcement officer only makes it more difficult. Plus, we have to be trained. Plus, some of us, you know, are uncomfortable with it. I mean, is that is that forcing that on uh, on a profession that isn't uh, up to speed with it? Where hiring a a, a school security guard uh, who, with some degree of expertise in handling weapons, maybe it's a maybe it's a retired military policeman, or or maybe this isn't maybe this is a, a first job out of the military for people. Would that be a good idea, Phil? That 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 the America America's schools become a feeder for uh, uh, for uh, military people, or are, are, would people be too worried about that? Well, I, I agree with Cheryl. I think that you need each school needs to do an assessment as to what their security needs are. And if a, a trained school resource officer is what they deem necessary, I think that, that obviously they should be very well trained. But statistically, what we've seen is that even with a trained uh, armed security officer in the building, that they haven't been successful at, at reducing or eliminating the mayhem. And that's why you really got to focus upstream on background checks and red flag laws to make sure that you don't give dangerous weapons to dangerous people. And when they become dangerous, you have a mechanism for taking them from them. Cheryl, your response to the red flag laws. You support I'm not that? in favor of the red flag laws, and I'm not in favor of uh, giving more controls to the government bureaucrats to decide who uh, is deemed safe enough to give uh, a firearm to, to versus who is not. Who should decide you know, the, that? The Second Amendment is in the Constitution, and so it's pretty um, clear that founding fathers wanted us as American citizens to have the right to self-defense. I am in favor though of taking steps that could strengthen the ability of those who want to take steps to have firearms, to, to open carry them or conceal carry them in school. It could be a choice thing. It doesn't have to force all teachers to carry, but I am in favor of allowing them to carry uh, the ones who want to be trained in order to fight the criminals who enter the schools. I, I don't I don't like any laws in regarding stripping the Second Amendment rights from law-abiding citizens. I'm in favor first of going after uh, those who would use the the weapons to commit acts of murder. Would you acknowledge, though, and I get everybody's response, but I a point to you on this. Would you acknowledge that the founding fathers and the, the authors of the Second Amendment, they did not have in mind, because this was 200 plus years ago, there weren't as many people out there who might have been harmful to themselves or harmful to their others. There weren't the films, there weren't the videos, there weren't the, uh, maybe, maybe uh, I would assume there were just as many crazy people back there, the, back then, and maybe there was less uh, uh, intervention. But aren't some of the modern concerns and some of the, 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 the people that get blamed uh, for, for causing some of these children uh, to uh, act in an antisocial way, was was that was that a known quantity two hundred years ago? I think the founding fathers had a pretty good handle on the sinful nature of humanity. That's why they cautioned that a democrat republic like we have 
could only last so long as the people were moral and virtuous. And if you want to start pointing to root causes of crime, it all goes back to the turn from this nation, from God, from godly principles, down a more secular path. But if you just want quick uh, hits on how to turn back this tide of school shootings, I would look, practically speaking, more at the, the instances of fatherless homes or drug addictions, in which case you have to look at the border, too, and the open borders we have under this feckless president letting in fentanyl, for instance, from China and Mexico. So there are more actions we can take without stripping the Second Amendment rights from law-abiding citizens. Phil, do you agree with those uh, ancillary issues that uh, Cheryl just referenced, that they're all important? And they are Look, there, this, this is a difficult issue and it requires a comprehensive response. But what I would point to is while the rest of the world has a loss of family units, while the rest of the world has uh, faded in uh, faith, um, they have not experienced this level of gun violence. And what's unique about it in the United States is that we allow unfettered access to, to dangerous weapons to folks that are at risk, to teenagers, to uh, the mentally ill, to those that are struggling and their, their coping skills have collapsed. And we do very little to protect them from themselves and others. And that's really where the intervention strategies of background checks, red flag laws, and community intervention have proven statistically to make a difference. We just need to invest in it more heavily. Do you think that the destruction of the American family is something that also goes around the world? In other words, is, is, is the, uh, obviously they wouldn't be an American family, but is, is, is the intact family, has it disintegrated around the world to the degree that it has disintegrated in the United States? Well, I wouldn't concede that uh, families have disintegrated in the United States. You know, uh, I live in a community that has very stable uh, family structure, and I, I meet and see a lot of people that approve of it. But I think that there's a lot of pressures on families that, uh, that have made it very difficult. And um, that we see across the world. But what we don't see is them killing their children at the rate that we do. And that has something to do with the fact that we have easy access to firearms. And no other country has invested in making guns available without background checks and without the ability to take them from folks that have already demonstrated that they are a danger to themselves and others, like we do. Would you would you favor the uh, the abolition of AR-15, uh, Cheryl? Because that seems to be the the, the gun of, of choice for some of these school shooters over the last 10 years. I need about a 30 second answer. Go ahead. No, I, I don't. Okay, well, that was, that was pretty quick. <laughs> All right. Our phone number is 1-800-723-8289. 1-800-723-8289. Where do you come down? We really want to look at the school safety issues. We've uh, had some of these discussions, and I, I'd be especially interested in hearing from teachers when we come up in just a moment. We'll continue. We're going to hear from a longtime uh, school board member from the Chicago land area. He has dealt with some of these issues. We'll get him to weigh in, but it would be good to hear from some teachers and teachers in the classroom. I'm Bruce Dumont. Don't go away.
This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, don't tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Bruce Dumont back in Elk Grove Village. Nice to have you with us. Uh, in hour number two this evening, we're going to have William Schneider uh, from uh, The Hill, a former CNN political analyst, and also Phil Wegman, who covers the White House, for real clear politics, and we're going to be talking about some of the uh, the upcoming big uh, senatorial races that are happening around the country. Uh, but meanwhile, we have uh, a couple of guests with us, and we're going to let them introduce themselves. Uh, Phil, I want to begin with you, but I, I mentioned at the beginning of the program uh, you were a survivor of a school shooting, although you actually lived next door to the school. That was 34 years ago this month. So t take a moment in introducing yourself to... Describe what happened to you and uh, 
and uh, how you reacted to it in your life. Well, uh, I was involved in, in a, uh, as a, almost a bystander to a shooting that took place 34 years ago in Winneka, where a, a deranged person entered into a classroom and shot six elementary school, school students. Who was a girl. Yeah, that made it unusual. Yeah. But, uh, but it was, did start kind of a, a grim trend of uh, school shootings. Uh, I survived. I was 20 years old. I went on to uh, uh, go back to school and um, uh, actually finished my, my swimming career at the University of Illinois. Then I went on to law school and in the mid-90s, after practicing law for a few years, joined were the you FBI, shot, were you, I led were you, crisis negotiation were you teams shot at point worked blank? on counterterrorism and counter counterintelligence. Were you shot at point-blank range? I was shot, shot about six feet away. Once or several times? Once. Once. And uh, were, uh, were, were you worried that you were going to lose your life at some point, or were you hit in such an area where it didn't appear to be uh, too vulnerable? No, it was life-threatening. I fought for my life uh, for uh, mm -hmm. several weeks in the, in the hospital mm -hmm. and, uh, and then made a recovery. Unfortunately, the, the other children, one included, uh, were, were killed on the spot and three others were critically injured. So uh, not everybody else was, um, was as lucky. Uh, Cheryl Chumley, uh, she is the Washington Times online editor, and she is author of a, a new book uh, called Lockdown, The Socialist Plot to Take Away Your Freedom. Uh, what freedoms are they likely to take away next, Cheryl, in your view? Well, lockdown was based on my reporting at the Washington Times about the government's overreach during the coronavirus. So the socialist plan to take away your freedoms deals with the continuation of the government's use of the coronavirus and its various health derivatives to justify further clampdowns, uh, not just in America, but at the World Economic Forum, World Health Organization and other government entities. And when, when you say socialists, uh, are you talking about a group of American liberals, American socialists, or are you talking about an international uh, socialist uh, cabal? I'm talking about mostly the socialists that have infiltrated the Democrat Party, uh, the, the socialist Marxist type ideology that has crept into America's culture and politics, and also the uh, socialist Marxist, uh, even communist entities in global government. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, joining us on the phone, I understand, is Arlen Gould. And uh, Mr. Gould, thank you very much for joining us this evening. Are you there? Pleasure, Bruce. Okay, Arlen Gould is, is a he's a longtime friend of mine. Let me just put that out there. We've known each other for forty years. He's a longtime yep. school board member in the northwest side, northwest suburban area of Chicago. Has been involved for over twenty nine years. Uh, what what lessons have you learned uh, based on school security? Uh, have there been breaches or attempted breaches at your schools and? Uh, uh, how do they prepare against incidents uh, like uh, Texas of last week? Well, let me just go back a touch in time. My interest in education started, of course, about the time that I met you when I worked for Governor Dick Ogilvie and was his statewide special ed coordinator. And uh, since that time, have been on the school board 29 years. 
really got elected in the wake of the Laurie Dan shootings. And one of the first things that we started to discuss back then was what should we do to improve school security? And I will say that several of the outgoing board members at that time didn't think it was much of an issue. Uh, I did, and uh, the school district began a process that started then uh, that has improved security in our buildings as much as we possibly can. I don't like to talk about all the things we're doing, but we're do- we've done a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know that there's a maximum you can do, but I do know that uh, it's probably impossible to secure every school building to the likes of a uh, prison where nobody can get in and nobody can get out. We and were so, just... Uh, 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 we were just discussing the issue of one single door, one single yep. door versus a, a, a push to get out door in case there is a fire emergency. But uh, is having just one entry uh, to a high school, you're dealing primarily with high schools, correct? Yeah. I mean, okay. I, obviously, historically, high schools have been uh, the greatest target because it would be uh, young people in the 17 to 19 range that commit the most heinous gun crimes at this point. And uh, the fact of the matter is you'd have to retrofit every school building in the country. Uh, You also have the issue of glass surrounding schools where if somebody can't get in necessarily at a door, uh, you'd have to retrofit that every single door with uh, uh, bulletproof glass as well or armed, you know, solid doors that cannot be penetrated. Is, so it's then, a very if, costly, very expensive okay. project. It's very costly. It's very expensive. But, uh, and, and, and what I'm hearing you say is that wouldn't necessarily uh, stop things. If somebody wants to get in there, they're going to get in there. So is the next thing the armed guard? And how many armed guards would you need for uh, uh, for a high school? And obviously high schools are well, you know, high, various sizes. That's a good point, Bruce. High schools are big and spread out, and, of course, there are hundreds of designs of school school buildings, mm-hmm. uh, high school buildings. And they have numerous entrances because many of them have 2,000 to 4,000 students right. uh, and staff. So you have to have egress for emergencies, for fires and other things. Um, I think almost all school districts in the country are doing safety drills, are doing active shooter drills are involved with their local police departments on best practices, I know we are, uh, on a regular basis. But to think that uh, we could simply uh, wall off these buildings that are huge and uh, uh, and not designed to have a single entrance mm-hmm. uh, is, is probably pipe dream. And I know a lot of school districts, the bigger ones, have been able to, on the entrance to the school in the daytime, we have done that, mm-hmm. there's one entrance. Uh, you don't have multiple entrances open all over the building, and then you're locked down once the kids are in school. We always, after but, all of these, after all of these, and I want to ask this of everybody, we're going to start with Cheryl. Yeah. After, after all of these shootings, uh, we will find out where some mistake was made. Uh, a, right. a child came in with their parent, and they met with the school principal and yep. the school principal sent them back to their class and to, you know yep. an hour later they were shooting up the class this was the case in in Michigan but in every case in this particular case the police apparently did not op, did not move in quickly enough 
and, and, and did not follow uh, the protocol for for that school district. But uh, I think but that's are, right. But are things, Cheryl, are there are there proactive things that the the school psychiatrist or psychologist working with parents is there some kind of a reward system because frequently you don't have students that are turning in other students who may know of uh, some dastardly act that was being planned. Is there some sort of a re reward system that might get some kids to uh, talk out of school, no pun intended, to, to stop crime? You mean to tattle on kids? Yeah, yeah, if, yes, if, absolutely. If they notice something on social yes. media or... Absolutely. I, I mean, I... Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, that's that's exactly what I meant. I mean, it's it's, oh, it's um, not the ideal situation. I, mean, I, but... I, I suppose you can make that case, but it seems to me like you're trying to change human nature um, instead of just taking some common sense measures. Uh, teens mostly are, uh, you know, to themselves. They're not going to talk to adults about what they see or what they don't see. Most of the teens I've always known uh tend to stay to themselves and they don't like to be known as tattletales. I suppose maybe you could have some assemblies at school to drive home the importance that if you notice somebody who seems distant or uh, behaving in, in, in strange ways or posting violence on their, on their social media to tell a trusted adult. But I still think the more common sense approach here is to uh, give the option for teachers who want to go through training and carry in the schools to do so, to have armed presence at the school, police and guards and so forth. And to me, that's just a common sense because then a shooter coming in doesn't know who's armed versus who isn't armed. I wanna, so that kind of puts a block up before the shooter even enters. I want to I want to hear Arlen's response to that. But first, Phil, I want you to close up the loop on the concept of some sort of a reward system. This would be a highly publicized federal reward system that basically it's asking kids to rat on another kid who's about to go in and shoot up a school. It isn't just, uh, you know, some gossip. Yeah. I need a 10 second well, there's, answer. There's well, point. The, there's, the bottom line is Phil. that in, in about two Phil. thirds of these cases, somebody does know something. And, you know, just like happened in Michigan and just like happened in Texas and creating all kinds of systems where the community is, 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 uh, encouraged and feel safe in sharing information and that people themselves can present that they have issues um, as long as we're meeting those folks and servicing and, and uh, uh, you know, got, connecting with we've them. We've got a pause. Uh, it, it's going to make a big difference. Beyond the beltway. Let's be honest. The National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. What if the music stopped? If the familiar voices were silenced? If there were no breaking news updates? What if your companion and connection to your community came with a monthly fee? 
Don't worry, we're free local radio with you wherever you go. Celebrating 100 years and looking forward to the next 100. We are broadcasters. Text radio to 52886 and let Congress know you depend on your local TV and radio stations. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive. But our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. back and uh arlen gould i wanted to get your reaction to cheryl's suggestion she suggested it a couple of times that arming teachers who want to be armed she's not for she's not coming up with a mandatory uh role of teachers but uh i'm sure that subject has come up uh, in discussion with you and your colleagues what do you think of the idea Uh, it's a bad idea why for a host of reasons uh, for one, uh, teachers, and I know teachers quite well. My wife is a retired teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, teachers are not militaristic individuals. And no matter if you give a teacher six hours or ten hours of training, uh, the fact of the matter is they will be no match with a pea shooter gun against an AR-15. And likely only result will be further fatalities. Beyond that, I will tell you that in Illinois, uh, the State Association of School Boards, uh, we vote on issues that relate to all of our schools. Mm-hmm. And uh, recently, uh, school districts across the state once again voted against arming teachers or even giving school districts the right to arm teachers, although there are places in Illinois where the time lag from a police car to get to your district 
is 20 minutes. Uh, that's an eternity. But uh, the fact of the matter is, Illinois school boards have voted against that, as okay. did our school district. All right, let's let's so, let's let Cheryl respond to that. Cheryl, uh, this is uh, from a, a a pro member of a school board uh, that a lot of teachers, because uh, they're they're not militaristic, and they would be uh, they'd be slaughtered by uh, uh, a, you know a crazy shooter. Your reaction? I don't, I don't agree with that. And first off, Illinois is one of the most liberal states and Chicago, one of the most liberal cities with one of the highest crime rates in America with the strictest gun laws. So I, I think maybe there could be better testing zones for, for my idea than Chicago or even Illinois. But I just disagree with the premise that teachers having guns can't be properly trained to defend themselves or students. I know plenty of people who aren't police officers, who aren't members of the military, who can somehow still manage to shoot and defend themselves and families. It's not rocket science. As a matter of fact, it's just a, it's a, it's a it's a growing industry. Personal gun ownership in this country, but, and but it's where, driven by women where, where, by women uh, owners. Cheryl, so, Cheryl, you know, it, where 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 in the country are teachers actively carrying uh, heat to school? I mean, is the, I don't are, are, are I, I don't know. I, I wasn't talking about teachers. I've not heard of any school district that's doing that. You don't know of any school district. Well, I thought you wanted teachers to carry the weapons, Cheryl. I do. But my question to you is, is there a school district in the country where they are doing that? You disagreed with with Arlen. You dismissed his first-person account. I, I disagreed because he said it was a bad idea, and I disagreed. Okay. But I didn't say that I that teachers were carrying in this country. They could be. I just don't know of any. Okay. So then, Bruce, let me. Add, can I add one thing to what we just discussed? One thing and that, that is, I want to go to Phil. Go ahead. Sure, Arlen. I was going to say that the other issue you raised is what can we do to ferret out individuals who have issues. Yes. And over the last thirty years, school districts across this country, at federal mandate, have staffed up in school psychologists, school psychiatrists. And most recently in our district, uh, we've added a program called trauma-based learning in which we've trained all of our teachers to be able to be aware of and detect individual students who are having serious problems, be that at home or somewhere else, that could put them at risk. And so there are a lot of things we can do. I do think that, you know, if you know something, say something is still a valid thing but so is monitoring what's on social media, because many times these individuals tend to pronounce what they're going to do on social media in advance. Phil, what, what uh, role does social media have in, uh, in solving this problem or making it worse? Well, it's, it's difficult to leverage it for a solution, but I think that it would be important to continue to message to communities that when they see something, they should say something and that there's resources available. But, um, you know, just just like uh, the school board here in Illinois, you know, a lot of schools have turned to and in some states have actually mandated threat assessments where when somebody does right. do something where they're a threat to themselves or others, that a detailed analysis of that is conducted and the school responds and the community and law enforcement respond appropriately. 
it's very helpful when they have the insights and they're given that information before things like this happen. From your years uh, working with the FBI, because and you, you've been dealing with threat assessments on a variety of levels, and obviously, personally, you have you have an, uh, an affection for the uh, for the school shooting situation because you've you've survived it. What advice would you give to people listening to this program this evening, parents? What advice would you give to them? What what are the telltale signs that they should act on? by seeking psychiatric help for their children. Are there two or three common denominators you can lay on the table tonight? Well, I think the first thing is to work very closely with their school, with their teacher, with the, the school psychologist, to, to get the best assessment, not just to be assessing for risk, but for assessing for the opportunities for that child to thrive. Um, we have a saying that safe people thrive, and that is in the classroom and in the workplace. And it's, it's not just from a physical threat. Often there's all kinds of things that are going on in a child or someone's life but isn't, that are, 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 isn't, are, are, are limiting their ability to thrive. Quick question and to you. Uh, schools quick, quick, quick schools are you. a great place to start quick, that conversation. Quick question. I need a 10-second answer. Is cruelty to animals a bad thing? for any parent to deal with, and they better deal with it. If someone is cruel to animals, Phil. There's certainly a couple of red flags. You know, the buying and, uh, and amassing firearms, okay. uh, uh, abuse of animals, uh, We're out of time. Um, we are out of time. All Phil Andrew, thank you indicators. very much for being with us. Cheryl Chumley, thank you very much. The book is Lockdown. The Socialist Plot to Take Away Your Freedom. Arlen Gould, thank you very much for joining us. We'll be back with another full hour talking politics coming up right away on Beyond the Beltway. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, I'll tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. 
<gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway. Nice to have you with us wherever you're listening from coast to coast. Every Sunday night we're here, and uh, most of you are getting this show live. And you get it live on radio stations around the United States on the Beyond the Beltway Network. And, of course, in recent years, we've been doing the show uh, live for Facebook and YouTube. And I'm dying to know uh, whether or not, if you're a regular listener, or are you a regular viewer? I, it would be interesting for me to know. Uh, do you watch this show or do you listen to the show? And uh, let me know. Send me a note. Um, Phil Wegman has been uh, covering the White House for uh, the last three or four years for Real Clear Politics. If you don't know what Real Clear Politics is, uh, you're missing uh, one of the most valuable resources for reporters all over the United States. Real Clear Politics is a, is a compendium of all the big stories, both at the national level and also at local state level. And uh, Phil's been with them for a number of years. He's one of their uh, leading reporters. And occasionally you'll see him pop up at a White House press conference. He joins us tonight from Washington, D.C. Phil, nice to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me, Bruce. We are also scheduled to be joined by William Schneider, but uh, we haven't made that connection yet, uh, and we'll continue to try to do that. He, of course, uh, writes for The Hill and is a veteran uh, political analyst uh, for CNN and a variety of other places. Uh, at, at this moment, <clears throat> take us inside, if you will, uh, the daily drama or the daily experiences uh, that you go through every day when you go to work at the White House. That sounds like a very glamorous job, a very competitive job, but um, is, is this an easy White House to cover or is it not? It's easier in some ways than in covering the previous administration, but it's also more difficult. And what I mean by that is when you were covering the Trump era, Basically, what you would do is a story would break and then you would reach out to your preferred senior administration official and you would just start working your network of folks who are inside 
uh, Trump's circle and folks on the outside as well, trying to get as close as you could to the truth, because there might be an official line coming from the White House. But because uh, that president was so bombastic, he would change his mind so frequently that the line was often changing. And so you had to move much more quickly to keep up. The Biden White House, by contrast, though, they're much more professional. And what I mean by that is they don't leak. Uh, so you might know an official, you might um, you know, know a principal who you've been chatting with for some time. And a lot of those conversations still take place. But in, in the Biden era, uh, officials are much less likely to leak to reporters. They stay on message and it's much more disciplined. Um, in a way, it's, uh, you know, one is sort of the Wild West and the other is more of a we work. Now, when, uh, if I were to offer an observation of sort of media coverage, uh, both, uh, both the uh, writers and also the editorialists that you see on television, uh, they seem to be uh, willing to make, uh, I want to say, age jokes. They seem to, you know, they, they join the, the late night comics and sort of piling on with Joe Biden because of his perceived, uh, you know, age gaffes. Uh, how widespread is that? I mean, do people make jokes about the president and his age? Or is that a misperception uh, of uh, the degree to which the news media seems to be obsessed about the man's age. So if anyone's making jokes in the press room, uh, the object is to make certain that it doesn't get back to the press office because they take these things very seriously. And that's because there's truth in kidding here, right? Mm -hmm. SNL can make a joke and every political reporter in, in Washington is going to laugh along because it's a fact. I mean, Joe Biden was one of the youngest U.S. senators uh, ever. And every day he walks into the Oval Office, he's the oldest president ever. Um, so there, there is a question of, um, you know, his durability. And in fact, in his first press conference with reporters uh, last year, it, it was a burning question. Uh, all right, Mr. President, you've beaten Donald Trump. Do you want a second term? And obviously, Biden, uh, he replied that, of course, he was going to run um, for president again in 2024. If he right. said no, no one would really right. Right. Um, Blame work with him at that point. Um, but, uh, yeah, he knows that uh, age is a factor here, and so does everyone else. And to what extent is uh, the vice president jockeying for position? Uh, to, to try to make herself the obvious choice to run if he chooses not to run, because there's a lot of other people that would like to run and push her out of the way. Absolutely. Um, it's interesting because Republicans have this really deep bench for 2024 if and only if Donald Trump decides not to run. Uh, you've got guys like Governor DeSantis, Governor Christie Nome, uh, Senator Marco Rubio, Josh Hawley, um, former Governor Chris Christie, all of these folks who are sort of looking at the White House and harboring their own ambitions. Mm -hmm. There's a similar dynamic on the left right now. Obviously, it hasn't gotten so acrimonious on the left that anyone would challenge a sitting president in the primary. But there is this question of, well, if Biden doesn't run in 24, is it going to be Harris? Is he going to, you know, either step aside or, or something else might occur where that position might open up. What's interesting about the current president and vice president, though, is it's not exactly an heir apparent situation, because while uh, Obama and Biden were very close and they had a very, um, you know, not just a, a collegial professional relationship, there was a real 
friendship there. Mm -hmm. That's not the same uh, as it is with Biden and Harris. As we reported at Real Clear Politics, for instance, Biden promised Harris that they were going to sit down to lunch um, at least once a week, just the two of them to to sort things out. Mm -hmm. Well, if you take a closer look at the calendar in this year alone, they've had lunch twice. And this is um, also, you know, backed up by reporting by uh, a lot of others like Jonathan Martin of the New York Times, uh, who, who reported that behind the scenes um, after Harris went after Biden, on the debate stage, you know, Biden world, they, they found her a tough, uh, tough pill to swallow. And there's still a lot of lingering resentment there. And uh, does that give you as a member of the White House uh, reporting team, does that give you an opportunity to go out and talk with these other potential candidates like a Pete Buttigieg? Mm -hmm. uh, Because again, there was a recent poll that suggested Pete Buttigieg sort of was in second place for uh, someone that might step in. And uh, so do do you uh, do you try to foster that uh, that resentment that might exist between the two of them? (laughs) Well, I think that if you were to foster the resentment, then you would be an active participant in the yeah, story and yeah. not necessarily just an observer. Um, I'm interested in in sort of talking to folks uh, and figuring out how they feel, not pushing them in, in any particular direction. But Bruce, I think what's, what's really interesting about this is that we're even having this conversation, mm-hmm. right? I mean, maybe mm-hmm. Trump and Pence didn't get along on on the most basic level um, throughout their entire presidency and certainly they didn't get along towards the end but we were having these kind of conversations um back then seriously and the fact that we're even sort of wondering aloud if the transportation secretary should be on the ticket with biden in 24 or if he should be um the nominee i think that shows that there's a lot of uncertainty there's a lot of doubt and, and frankly uh buddha judge he went from being the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, you know, which is not even the most uh, powerful person in South Bend. That's yeah. the president of Notre Dame, yeah. right? Uh, but he went from being uh, a little-known Midwestern mayor to catapulting into one of the most consequential positions in this administration. Yeah. He knew that infrastructure was going to happen, and he uh, positioned himself Bill, well to be sort of the principal to dole out that cash. Bill, we've got a we've got a break here. It's Back a for but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, We'll probably stay together. Probably? (laughs) It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, You should wait 30 minutes. Mm, Okay, don't tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. 
I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Bruce Dumont back. We continue with Beyond the Beltway, and Bill Schneider joins us now. And he is the political analyst for The Hill, and he's on with Phil Wegman. We continue with Phil. Uh, he is from Real Clear Politics. Bill, nice to have you with us. Uh, we have Thank been you. talking about uh, uh, life, life at the White House, and I want to get your your take in uh, this unique situation now, where you know Biden has told everybody he is going to run for re-election. A lot of the political operatives don't believe that, and normally there would be a lot of jockeying behind the scenes uh, between the office of the president and the office of the vice president. What have you heard about the relationship between those two offices? Because it is a little bit different than the past, is it not? It is because Biden is, what, 70, he'll be like 82 years old in 2024. He's about 79 yeah. now. Yeah. Uh, so it's a lot of people think an 82-year-old guy running for president, that's a little strange. Uh, but also, of course, he has an African-American. Uh, she's not foreign-born. Her ancestors are from India. Or Jamaica, I think. Yeah. Um, and she's African American. She identifies as African American. So a whole bunch of odd situations. Biden. The biggest problem at the White House is Biden's low ratings. He's been struggling to get anywhere close to fifty percent. It's just not there. Mm -hmm. I've looked at the polls very closely, and the criticism you hear about Biden, I've heard it from the polls, I've heard it from focus groups. It's the same always. He's too weak. He has a Jimmy Carter problem. Uh, that he's hapless and ineffectual. That really set in uh, last year during the withdrawal from Afghanistan. People just don't think he's a strong president, and nothing has happened since then to disabuse them of that notion. Mm -hmm. And that's also generally a uh, it's it's a perceptive uh, perception, Phil, that sort of exists, right? I mean, it, it's it, it isn't so much about the age. It's just the ability to uh, either think quickly, think on the dime, uh, you know, shift positions, uh, you know, to to uh, to affect uh, 
some some uh, you know failing uh, poll numbers. He he just doesn't seem with it. Is the term I would use. He just if it is or that I I, I like that term. Uh, he doesn't seem decisive. He doesn't seem the word I would use is strong. Strong right. is the opposite of weak. Yeah. Uh, you know, Ronald Reagan was strong. Yeah. Jimmy Carter yeah. was weak. That's one reason why Reagan won. Is there um, any? Is there? Is there strong strength in a president, and they don't see it in Biden. Is there anybody? And I'm going to ask this to Phil, and then I'm going to ask come back to you, Bill. Is there anybody that um, that he listens to? Phil, who, that, who, who does he I listen think that, to? That President Biden. I mean, one of the the. Uh, key trademarks of his presidency thus far is that he is sticking with the teams that got him into the administration. Mm-hmm. And that means that he remains someone who who goes to try and get the counsel of um, labor in this country, but more than a particular focus group. Um, this is a president who is sticking with the people who were with him uh, when he was in the Senate, who is sticking with the people who were with him when he was in the vice presidency. Certainly, there's a number of folks who are staffing the administration right now who were alumni of the Obama administration. But more than anything, I think that he is uh, relying on the counsel of people that he's known for a long time. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I mean, I think that that Bill, um, you know, really nailed it there. It seems more and more that the 1970s are calling and we're dealing with a lot of the same problems. You talk about the polls. Biden saw a slump in the polls. Yes, because COVID wasn't going away last summer, but uh, he saw that slump uh, come at the same time that there was this chaotic withdrawal from Afghanistan. And so to close the loop here, you've got a president who you know is older. There are questions about what's happening on the world stage. The central promise of his campaign was that he could be the elder statesman to come in and make things a normal again. But then you have these slip mm-hmm. ups, for instance, during his second press conference where he says, well, you know, the U.S. wouldn't you know retaliate if there was a minor incursion into Ukraine, and that sort of uh, set the world aflutter. Same thing with his remarks about Taiwan just last week. Um, You know, this is, it's a difficult time, and uh, he certainly does need to shed uh, this perception of him that he's a a weak president. Uh, Bill, if you were were an ally of the United States like Taiwan, would you you sleep comfortably knowing uh, what uh, President Biden said to you? I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be entirely comfortable with it. Yeah. I don't know that there's any other person who could be president whom they would be more comfortable with. I mean, Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis. I mean, there's nobody out there that I think they would have mm-hmm. full confidence in, except Ronald Reagan. Mm-hmm. Ronald Reagan, you know, and, and the Republican primaries right now. I just wrote an article about this. Look like a contest between Donald Trump and Ronald Reagan. Although Ronald Reagan has passed away. Right. Reagan wing of the party, the old-fashioned conservatives who are most dubious about Donald Trump. And the Taiwanese would trust a Reagan or even a George W. Bush, his vice president. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anyone out there they really trust right now. The, the, the Trump people or the, or the regular Republicans or both? They, they, they prefer the regular Republicans because the Trump people are isolationists. Trump no. is an isolationist. That's no. pure Republican populism. Right. He called his movement America First. That was the isolationist movement from the 30s. Right. So um, is that movement, in your view, growing? Is it a growing movement that people really believe in, or are they just afraid to stand up to Donald Trump? 
I think we're, I think there is a wing of the Republican Party that has a tendency to be isolationist. They've always supported Donald Trump. They liked it when he said, what are we in NATO for? We spend all the money and nobody else pays their dues. Uh, they like that uh, in Trump. He, he calls everything into, into question. That's a wing of the Republican Party, and it's there. Uh, isolationism has generally been on the increase, but there is a tremendous wave of sympathy right now for Ukraine in this conflict. I mean, Republicans, Democrats, independents, they all favor Ukraine over Russia. Uh, it's quite an amazing thing because it surprised everybody that the support for Ukraine is solid. I think it has a lot to do with uh, Vladimir Zelensky. They call him Churchill in a T-shirt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Phil, would you agree with that, that, he, that uh, Vladimir Zelensky may be the most popular politician in the world at the moment? It's uh, hard not to like a guy who is going to see his own army on the front lines, who is giving uh, impassioned speeches to the world, and who is really leaning into this greater narrative of a democracy versus an autocracy. Granted, uh, Ukraine certainly uh, has some some troubles with self-government at home, but in, in, in the larger picture, I mean, it's clear who the good guy here is and who the bad guy is. And I think that it has been interesting to see the majority of Republicans, some of whom uh, backed Trump's, you know, American first uh, agenda, you know, also back up U Ukraine here. Now, some, you know, have certainly uh, balked at, at the spending uh, that has been proposed. And I think that what we're seeing here is we're, we're figuring out what the contours of this new conservative populist foreign policy is going to be. Certainly, uh, there were a lot of Americans who were, you know, would consider themselves, you know, populists or conservatives who, who wanted to leave Afghanistan. And they were they were fine with uh, Trump's promise to, uh, in his words, you know, leave leave that sandbox. What they weren't fine with, though, was the way that it occurred and the sort of chaos that they saw on on cable news screens and the rest of the world uh, to see. And so, you know, I, I think that there's a bit of a distinction there but then there's also uh, a bit of a distinction in ukraine because some of these people who who are cheering the ukrainians in their fight for um you know sovereignty against the russians some of those americans like like bill pointed out a moment ago were also probably uh, asking you know what's the point of nato and i think that what that comes back to is just like trump the man trumpism the political philosophy uh, is much more of a feeling than a set of principles, and it's shifting. Are you guys hearing anything about Donald Trump's health? I never hear any speculation about it, uh, but again, he's he's not too far behind uh, Joe Biden age-wise, although I think stylistically, when you watch the two men, one looks elderly and the other one does not. Bill, have you heard any uh, signals uh, about his possible health issues? If he, I haven't heard any health issues about Donald Trump, but I hear them about Joe Biden all the time. Yeah. Because when he speaks, he often stumbles. He often loses track of what he's saying. Uh, when he made this statement about Taiwan, a lot of people yeah. thought, wait a minute, is, is something lacking here? Does he not understand the issue? Yeah. You hear it about Biden much more than you hear about Trump. Right. Have you, have you heard any of that? Uh, people all, are always looking for negative stories about Trump. Have you heard anything about I, I have not. I'm just asking you. Is it's one of the issues that uh, people don't seem to talk about with Trump. 
Well, I can tell you that the press corps was very animated when the president's surgeon released their report uh, during the Trump years because Trump's a big guy. Some of his habits aren't the most healthy, right. uh, but there's not as much interest when it comes to the current president. Um, although uh, recently, I think it was last year, uh, Tom Bevan, uh, the president of Real Clear Politics, actually did an interview with Trump, and he tried to frame the question in a different way yeah. um, about 2024. Everyone has been asking uh, Trump, are you going to run? Are you going to run? And he gives a, a sheepish uh, a sheepish sort of answer where, where he says, well, you'll just have to wait and see. But um, Bevan was pretty clever about this. He asked Trump, what are some of the reasons why you wouldn't run? Right. And uh, without tipping his hand too much, Trump said uh, that the, the big issue that could prevent him from running would be his health. Yeah, well, that, that seems to be a, a logical. It should be a logical answer regardless of your age, but certainly if, you, you know, if you're up in your, in your upper 70s, you should uh, be thinking of that. Uh, when we come back, I want to find out, there's obviously a, a third of the United States Senate is up for election right now. They are all looking for favorable stories to help them in their primaries, many of whom uh, have primaries ahead. Some have uh, primaries in the rearview mirror. But when, I, when we come back, I want to find out just as, as professionals within the field, uh, how often are you guys uh, solicited uh, looking for favorable coverage of a candidate in, uh, in a primary race? And if there's any key races that are going on right now, who's knocking on your door the most? I'm Bruce Dumont, back shortly. One forty-five over ninety-two. One eighty over one eleven. One hundred and eighty-two over a hundred. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself. I didn't. Now I do. Uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. 
her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back. We continue with Beyond the Beltway. Bill Schneider and uh, Phil Wegman join us from uh, Washington, D.C. this evening. Uh, one is the political analyst. That's uh, Bill Schneider uh, of The Hill, formerly with CNN. And Phil Wegman is the uh, White House reporter for Real Clear Politics, which is, if you don't go there, you, that's the compendium where you can get a lot of stuff, get a lot of stuff on The Hill as well. Uh, my question to you guys before the break is uh, there's a lot of senators out there. Their press secretaries are always looking for some good publicity. I mean, do you get do you get hustled for for stories about senators that are running for reelection, Phil? Uh, I think that every flack who reaches out is always trying to hustle a reporter into writing something good about their boss. Uh -huh. uh, more often than not these days, when I'm talking to a Hill office, it's that they're trying to get a sense of what's happening in the administration. Uh, but certainly uh, everyone does uh, keep an eye towards what's going to happen in November. And I think that there are basically uh, two big takeaways from these midterm elections. Um, you know, one, it's a referendum on uh, the Biden administration. And certainly history tells us that he's more than likely to lose quite a few seats in the House. And maybe even Democrats will lose control of the Senate. But the other track here is a question of Donald Trump's influence over the Republican Party. He likes having candidates come down to Mar-a-Lago and kiss the ring. But uh, is his endorsement, is that going to lead to sort of the Trump bump that's necessary for a candidate to punch their ticket and uh, and make it to Congress? I think that's still um, you know an open question, although at this moment he, yeah. he seems to have a winning record. Uh, at least yeah. in the GOP primaries. Yeah. Although last week was not a was not a good week for him, <laughs> Bill. As you look, <laughs> no, at, not at all. As you as you look ahead, Bill, for the next couple of months uh, in the primaries that are coming up, is there what what races will you be looking at? And is there are there some Senate races that you think are going to sort of dominate the news as uh, both parties believe that they can control the Senate? Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania. We don't even know who the Republican nominee yeah. is yet. It's a tie, really, between the Democrat and Trump's candidate, the Republican, oh. Dr. Oz. Uh, the primary was not decisive. I think Dr. Oz is a few hundred points ahead. Uh -huh. uh, so there has to be a recount. Um, but that, and then the uh, Democratic nominee is an unusual guy. Uh, he looks like a hippie, but he's very, yes. very progressive. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know how that's going to turn out, but everyone's paying attention to Pennsylvania because a Republican incumbent is retiring and opening up that seat. Right. The other race people are looking at is probably the most vulnerable Republican running for re-election to the Senate, and that's Ron Johnson in Wisconsin. Wisconsin mm -hmm. is a state that has 
very progressive Democrats, very conservative Republicans. Remember Joe McCarthy? Right. Well, Wisconsin is going to have a very hot primary this year, a rather hot uh, general election this year with Ron Johnson. And he's seen by Democrats, certainly, as the most vulnerable Republican incumbent. Don't they have a, they have a primary on the Democratic side, too, don't they? I think they do, but I don't even know who's running. No. But again, that that's going to be a key. Who, who is the most vulnerable? You mentioned uh, that Ron Johnson, uh, Phil, to you as well. Would you agree that Ron Johnson is uh, is at least at the head of a, a targets list of, of Democrats? And is there anybody else you would put on that list? Although they would have everybody on the list. But uh, who do you think are the most vulnerable uh, people? I think Ron Johnson is certainly the most uh, Republican in the Senate right now. But if you rewind the clock to 2016, this is a candidate who even the NRSC sort of left for dead. Right. No one thought that he was going to win in Wisconsin. He ended up uh, pulling it off. And what happened as a result? You had uh, Johnson who comes back to the Senate and he's much less tolerant of, of GOP leadership. I mean, certainly, you know, it's not acrimonious. He's not at McConnell's throat, but this is a senator who goes his own way on a number of different policy issues, uh, who has sort of uh, been much more MAGA than I think uh, McConnell and other Republicans would like in certain cir circumstances. And so, you know, if he's out on a limb and uh, if it's a, a close race and maybe um, the, uh, you know, GOP brass says, look, we've got to invest in some of these other races mm -hmm. like, um, you know, Ohio or, or Georgia, you know, and he pulls it off. Um, well, I, I think that that leads to a, a much more independent uh, senator. Uh, who comes back to Washington, yeah. and uh, depending on your politics, that could be a, a good or a bad thing. You could either be, you know, someone who speaks truth to power or uh, a loose cannon, depending my, on your my, uh, your politics. My recollection of four years ago was that uh, House Speaker Paul Ryan, uh, he came in at the last minute and he helped Johnson over the goal line. And obviously, uh, uh, I don't know what that relationship is now. But obviously, uh, the former speaker is no friend of Donald Trump's and vice versa. So uh, it depends on, on, on what he's up to. But clearly, uh, Donald Trump has already said he's going to spend a lot of time uh, in Wisconsin. And that will be a that will be a tightly uh, fought race, uh, regardless of who the opposition is. Mm -hmm. Listen, uh, Georgia has two black candidates running for the Senate against each other. Herschel Walker, the Republican candidate. Yep. And Raphael Warnock, the incumbent Democrat in the Senate. Two black candidates in Georgia. How about that? Yep. And uh, one seems to have a little more baggage than the other. Uh, but again, uh, Herschel Walker uh, easily won that Republican primary down there. And that was that was one of the few pieces of good news for Donald Trump in Georgia. But I don't think anybody was really surprised by it. They might have been surprised by what happened in uh, in Alabama. Can you take us inside what happened in Alabama, Phil? Because uh, 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 Trump was going back and forth on his endorsements, and uh, his endorsement, uh, his first endorsement, didn't win. Yeah, um, I think you're referring to the Mobrook situation right. there. And it was interesting because you could not find a member of Congress who has made more in Trump's image than, uh, you know, Representative Mo Brooks, <laughs> uh, whether it's on uh, border or guns or, you know, you throw a rock and name an issue. He is pretty simpatico with the president. Um, Trump withdrew his endorsement of Brooks, though, because uh, he didn't think that he was satisfactorily um, 
you know, questioning of the 2020 results. It turns out, though, that that Brooks was able to, um, you know, I, th I think that he's in a, a runoff now uh, against the other uh, yeah. Republican mm -hmm. candidate there. Uh, but yeah, this is this is a situation where, yeah, Trump might be uh, the most popular uh, Republican uh, in the party right now. And certainly the base loves him. But, um, you know, it, it's not uh, it's not an automatic thing. And I think that, you know, again, this is a litmus test on on uh, on his his power here. And more than that, I mean, I think that in D.C. we focus a lot on the personality, you know, Trump endorsed this mm -hmm. person, Trump endorsed that right. person. But, um, you know, he's going to do that for, you know, the end of time. I mean, Trump's not going to go away. He enjoys this. Uh, what I find interesting is you've got more of these uh, conservative organizations. For instance, you know, if, if you go back to Pennsylvania and the primary there, I mean, Trump said that Oz was his guy. And then all of a sudden you had this, um, you know, this third candidate who no one had really paid a lot of attention to, Barnett, suddenly surge. And, and she surged, you know, because she was an alternative, but also because she had the backing of significant conservative groups like the Club for Growth right. and uh, Susan B. Anthony list. And I think that um, that is a return to the fact that you know, there are some conservatives, yeah, they like Donald Trump, but some of these conservative policy organizations, you know, they're looking for someone who is going to follow their preferred policies, okay. not necessarily just be a flag holder for the former president. Bill, Bill uh, tell us a little bit more about the Club for Growth. What do we know about their, 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 their background? The Club for Growth in the Republican primaries. Growth is a very conservative economic organization. I can't remember... Who's, it, who's the president of now? He's a, he was a member of Congress. Uh, it's basically anti-tax. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, looking down, looking down the road. Either one of you, Bill. Uh, we'll start with you. Looking down the road, is there other than Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania? Is there any other big race that's out there that? Uh, obviously, I think everybody inside the, the Beltway is probably uh, looking at the Liz Cheney uh, primary uh, in in Wyoming for the House. But are there any other Senate races out there other than uh, you mentioned uh, Ron Johnson? Is anything anybody else out there that you think is in either deep trouble or uh, in, in for a cakewalk uh, to reelection? The vulnerable Democrat is is the one from Nevada. I don't even know much about her. Uh, I think it's Cortez Masto. She's yeah. Latina, and she's a, she's apparently a vulnerable Democrat in a state that yeah. usually votes with California, a pretty Democratic state. Yeah, and she also is running against. Uh, uh, Paul Laxalt, who's the grandson of the former uh, governor and senator and close friend of Ronald Reagan. Phil, uh, w would you put uh, Nevada in that uh, uh, toss-up state as well? And, Absolutely. And any other Neva states, De definitely that. Nevada, but also, um, you know, keeping our eyes southwest, I would take a closer look at Arizona. Uh, senator Mark Kelly is going to have, you know, a, 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 a challenge on his hands, um, regardless of, of who... Uh, Republicans nominate uh, as their candidate, but certainly the immigration issue, the situation at the border, that's going to be top of voters' minds mm -hmm. uh, come November in that race. Mm -hmm. And anything happening uh, in, in any of the other Colorado? There doesn't seem to be any there. I don't think there's a Senate race in Colorado at this particular moment. So there's, there's uh, other than, uh, would, would you say that Georgia is going to be the race that most people are going to be looking at? Uh, on election night, and so far as Pennsylvania, the, the center, and Pennsylvania, obviously, 
and obviously uh, Ohio, because uh, just because J.D. Vance won the Republican primary, uh, you can't dismiss uh, uh, Tim Ryan, who I think I said this a couple of weeks ago on the program. Uh, if you look at Ohio, I mean, in the next, let's say, 15, 20 years, it's very possible either with Tim Ryan or with uh, uh, or with J.D. Vance, you have uh, future candidates for their party's nomination just because of uh, whoever wins uh, is going to really set a set a set a place for them at the uh, future discussion of presidential politics just because of the importance of the state of Ohio. We do have to pause. We've got another segment coming up. 1-800-723-8029. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about Texas politics. Don't go away. song again for the hundredth time today here's that song again it's gonna be stuck in your head all day here's that song again it will make you cray cray you love your kids enough to watch that tv show a bajillion times love them enough to make sure they're in the right car seat for their age and size show them you love them keep them safe visit nhtsa.gov slash the right seat brought to you by the national highway traffic safety administration and the ad council is that a faucet running that's not a faucet that's a river rushing through the forest forest rivers provide over 100 million people with clean water to drink what i can't hear you because of the vacuum that's not a vacuum that's the trees in the forest cleaning up the air we breathe i didn't know the trees were so amazing yep and the forest gives us shade trees to climb that's awesome let's go explore some more visit the forest today and enjoy all it does just for you to learn more about the forest and find one near you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. No word in English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, I'll tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay? isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and Ad Council. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it, or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. Uh, coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. 
Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Bruce Dumont back uh, beyond the Beltway. Uh, Phil Rugman, we all know, uh, if, you're, if you read uh, any political op news, that Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump are not close friends at all. Uh, <laughs> my question to you is, if Donald Trump has endorsed a candidate for the Senate, uh, is Mitch McConnell helping that person, or is he sort of backed away and just uh, not, not washed his hands of a race, but certainly isn't doing anything to boost that candidate. Well, ahead of the uh, race in Pennsylvania, when it sort of was coming down to the wire, reporters asked McConnell, you know, are you worried? And he pretended to wipe his brow and sort of laughed it off. But there was truth in kidding there, right? Um, you know, whoever wins in Pennsylvania is going to be joining uh, his caucus and they're either going to be a team player or they might buck the trend. There's talk uh, that Donald Trump wants Senator Rick Scott to challenge uh, McConnell for the majority leader position. I'm not certain if that will happen. But if, when we talk about Trump in the Senate, I think something that we need to rewind and remember is that uh, there's still resentment. There's still some Republicans who are frustrated that down in Georgia in 2020, uh, the president was more focused on his gripes about the previous election than he was on the special election there, and that the president didn't do enough to help, uh, you know, David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler keep their seats. And, you know, I remember, I remember on Thanksgiving um, in 2020, I asked um, the president, you know, how can you ask uh, these these voters in Georgia to go to the polls for this special election and this this runoff um, if you're telling them that there were massive questions about the last general election. And rather than threading the needle there, uh, he just replied, oh, yeah, no, I, I've told David and Kelly that they should be on the lookout for possibilities of, you know, a fraud that, you know, maybe it's it's not legitimate. Um, that kind of, of rhetoric, it certainly didn't uh, help get Republican voters to the polls. And I think that, you know, some Republicans, you know, in their more private mo moments might blame the former president for, uh, you know, keeping them from the majority. In, in the race. Mitch McConnell Go ahead. has not spoken to Donald Trump in a year. Yeah. In a whole year. Donald Trump called him a dumb son of a bitch. Can I yeah. say that on your show? Well, that's what well, Donald yeah, Trump yeah, called fine. him. Uh, they don't really speak. Mitch McConnell has only one political interest, and it's paramount, and it includes everything. He wants to remain, to be again, majority leader of the United States Senate. He will support any Republican who looks like a winner if he has an R after his name. That's Mitch McConnell's driving force. Is he one of the smartest people in Washington, Bill? Is who? Mitch McConnell. Yes, he is. He's very smart. Very cagey, very savvy, not very ideological. Uh, I don't think he's a true believer in Trump or much of anything. Certainly he believes in Republican causes, and he's always been good on gun, gun issues. Um, those are there are two real wild card issues that no one knows how they're going to play in this election. One is abortion, when the Supreme Court finally hands down its decision on Roe v. Wade, um, that could create a backlash on the left. And the other is guns. There's a new momentum building since last week on uh, to pass new background checks, new forms of gun control, and that could enrage the gun rights constituency on the right. Those are two 
wild card issues that suddenly have gotten thrown into the mix. If if the Republicans uh, took one step in in the direction of uh, background checks or uh, raising the the minimum age of owning a gun to twenty one, uh, now they maybe everyone is going crazy because I've described them as minor steps, but you know, I'm, it's my show. So if, if they did a, a minor step like that, Phil, would, would they, would they lose primaries? Would they lose their constituency if they stepped just, uh, you know, a couple of feet behind, uh, out of step with the NRA? Really how minor? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I think I think Bill's right there. It's a question of degree. I know that, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Florida raised the age to 21 for some of these uh, rifle purchases. Uh, look, I, I think that, you know, even the most responsible gun owner, someone who hasn't gotten as much as a parking ticket in their life, they want to see a solution to some of these mass shootings as well. What they don't want to see, though, um, is a lot of the rhetoric that we, you know, see on cable news these days. Um, and I think that they are uncomfortable with the proposal to, you know, ban, um, you know, certain rifles. And the reason why is, um, you know, if if you talk about a, you know, banning the AR-15, uh, I think that some of these voters who might be open to red flag laws or raising the age of, of purchase, some of these, you know, minor steps that you just described, Bruce, I think they might say, well, wait a minute, if you want to ban that, um, you know, what else are you going to ban uh, in my gun closet? But, you mm -hmm. know, to, to Bill's point earlier, I think those two issues, abortion and gun control, those suddenly became the wild cards that could upend the apple cart in a, in a year where, you know, you've got inflation, you've got uh, an economy that's, that's you know, um, making some people nervous. And, you know, maybe that changes things if Democrats can uh, capitalize on, on both of them. Do they do they uh, do they benefit one particular party over the other, Bill? Well, the gun issue has usually benefited Republicans right. because you have gun rights activists who are very sensitive to anything that threatens gun rights, and you have abortion rights supporters who uh, could be a backlash if there's any threat to abortion rights. Phil mentioned a minute ago that there could be other issues related to the gun issue that could come up with that. People are afraid it's a slippery slope. Well, the same thing is true with abortion. I hear people talking about the fact that if the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade, you know what's next? They're going to say what they used to say, which is that it's legal to ban contraception in the United States. Yeah. That was only decided about 50 years ago in the Griswold case. A lot of people are very nervous about how far the Supreme Court, this Supreme Court, is likely to go. One big city race that's going to be decided in the next couple of weeks is is in Los Angeles. Bill, I know you live in Washington, but your uh, your political heart is back in L.A. Uh, tell us about this uh, Rick Caruso. Is he is he the real thing? I need a 10 second answer. He's rich. That helps. <laughs> that helps. And he's running against uh, Karen Bass. Uh, and again, uh, Mr. DeLeon De is the third person out there. So we'll cover that one uh, on our weeks to come. Bill Schneider, thank you very much for joining us, political analyst for The Hill. And also Phil Wegman. Phil, thank you very much. Uh, White House reporter for Real Clear Politics, a great place to start your political day every single day. Fritz Goldman you, helped make this program possible. I'm Bruce Dumont. Have a wonderful Memorial Day. Remember the purpose of Memorial Day. I'm Bruce Dumont. See you next week. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. 
It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council.